What do you think it is that Ben needs most to serve here well? I think I know what Libby needs, because Ben was telling me earlier that, that Ben knows Rotherham well. And Libby's kind of, it's all new to you, is that right? You're kind of, you're getting to know the place. And so, you know, Google Maps is very helpful and, and sort of discovering where all the supermarkets are or the shops or whatever it is. That's really useful. I guess in time, though, you'll both become, you'll become reacquainted with Rotherham again, Ben and Libby. You'll become very familiar with it. So it's not the geography of the place, is it? It's not even knowing people in the church. Because actually, we quickly get to know other people at some level. What is it that Ben, if he's going to do the task that you're calling him to, to be a pastor, to be a shepherd of this church, what is it he needs most of all? I guess you might think, in spiritual terms, that what he needs most of all, perhaps, is is a good knowledge of the Bible. He needs a Bible which is well-thumbed, a Bible that he knows well, so that when you ask him questions, he knows where to look for the answers. So his preaching is engaging and, and kind of faithful to the Scriptures, just as we were hearing about earlier on in those questions that we were asking him about. Or, or perhaps you might say, well, no, no, what we really need in Ben is we need a man of prayer. We need someone who's going to really give himself to praying for this work. He's going to be a real prayer warrior. It's what we sometimes call people who, who are praying hard for, for people in the church and for people outside the church to be saved and to, to come and join us. Uh, perhaps you might think, actually, what Ben really needs, he needs a grasp of a, a bigger picture it's great that he's serving here in Rotherham, but you know, he, we want him to be a man who's passionate about world mission and about what's happening in the rest of Yorkshire and the rest of the country. Perhaps that's what you think he needs, that kind of that big picture vision. Or, or perhaps just thinking ahead a little bit, you're thinking to yourself, wouldn't it be great if we could plant that church? At the moment, it's just a little seed, a little kind of a tiny, tiny seed. Wouldn't it be great if, if Ben could be the man to lead that work? What sort of qualities would he need for that? All those things, I guess, are going round your head. And, and it would be easy to think that actually what would look like a, a good ministry, a, a godly ministry, a successful ministry here in Rotherham would have elements of all those things. Now, they're all important, don't get me wrong. But none of them is the thing that Ben, you, and Libby, you, and in fact all of us need more than anything else. What we need, what is top of the list, is this. We need to know the Lord. That's what Ezekiel needed. If you've got your Bibles, it'll be helpful if they're open. It's quite a crazy passage, isn't it? You think that as as Kevin read it to us, it's quite kind of, you know, what's going on? It feels a little bit mad. And and so it would be helpful to you if you have your Bibles open. You don't need to, but you'll be able to see where some of the things I'm talking about come from. And and just look and see the way that this man, Ezekiel, is described. We know he's 30 years old. We see that in verse 1, in the 30th year, in the fourth month on the fifth day. While I was among the exiles by the River Kabar. River Kabar is a, a kind of a canal, a navigation that runs through Babylon, Babylon was not home for these people. It was not home for Ezekiel. It was a long way from home. Hundreds and hundreds of miles. I don't know, have you got a a canal you can dip your feet in? The River Don, you kind of go down there and just tinkle your toes in it and think this is nice and refreshing. It's that kind of idea. It's a long way from home 
And here was Ezekiel. He is a priest. Did you see that? On the fifth of the month, verse 2, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiachin, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest. Now, because he's 30, we know he's a new priest, right? He's like Ben. Ben is not a priest, but he's kind of, he's new to it in a way. And because he's a priest, we know a few things about him. We know this. We know that he would have memorized the first five books of the Bible. Okay, these are the first five books of the Bible in my Bible. He would know those off by heart. It's impressive, isn't it? Impressive kind of Bible knowledge. Know anybody like that who would be able to recite to you the first five books of the Bible? He's a man who would know the ins and outs of the job. He was a man who probably from birth had been trained in how the whole system worked. I wonder if you've ever read through the Bible, perhaps in a year or just read it, tried to read it cover to cover. And you've got to that, that slightly strange book, Leviticus. And you thought to yourself, what on earth is going on in Leviticus? All those sacrifices and, and all these things that have to be done. Well, Ezekiel would have known all that stuff like the back of his hand. He, he would have been on the rotors at the temple, just like Ben is finding he's on the rotors here already. So he, he knew the kind of the ins and outs of his job. He, he would have even known the history of his people. He would have known why it is that the people of God are not at home but they're in exile. They're not at home. They're in exile a long way away, about 900 miles away, because they've been rebels, because they've done their own thing, because they've kept rebelling against their God, the living God. And Ezekiel is going to be the man whom God calls to speak to them. What does he need? What does Ezekiel need? The answer is Ezekiel needs to know the Lord. It's what Ben needs. Ben needs to know the Lord. It's what Libby needs. It's what Ian needs. It's what all of us need more than anything else. We need this kind of vision of the Lord. This depth, this intensity, this seriousness, if you like, of the vision that God gives to Ezekiel. We haven't got time to look at it, but Ezekiel has a hard job. Ezekiel has to take a message to a people who won't listen. Ezekiel has to take a message to a people who won't respond. But it's not just for that reason. It's not as though God is saying to Ezekiel, I know you've got a really hard job, and so here's something special for you. Now, what we're being shown in Ezekiel chapter 1 is a vision of the Lord that all of us need. That's why the chapter has been kept for us in the Bibles. That's why the Holy Spirit has, has preserved it for us, so that we can learn from it. It's not just so that we can look at it and say, isn't that nice for Ezekiel? It's so that we can say, I, I need this kind of vision too. I need to know the Lord. In the book of Ezekiel, that little phrase, know the Lord, comes up 65 times. Everything God does in the book of Ezekiel, it's quite a long book, but everything God does, he does so that people will know I am the Lord, or so that they will know I am the Lord. So God acts sometimes in judgment, scary judgment. And God does it, he says, so that people will know I am the Lord. 
God sometimes acts in mercy. He's generous, he's kind, he's gracious, and he does it so that people will know I am the Lord. Sometimes he departs from his people and the temple that they built, an extraordinary building, is destroyed. He does that so that they will know I am the Lord. Sometimes he shows in very precious ways that he's with his people. He does it, he says, so that they will know I am the Lord. What is, according to God himself, the most important thing that anybody could know, whether you're serving full time in the church or not, it is this, to know the Lord. And so what we're going to do just this afternoon, this evening, is is very briefly look at three things in this passage, three things that the Lord shows us about himself so that we might have the same kind of vision that Ezekiel has, so that we might be equipped to serve wherever we are. I know some of you guys are from Kensington, and if you're from Kensington, that's great. It's lovely to see you, lovely to catch up with Simon again. This is so that you will know how to serve the Lord in Kensington. For those of you who are here from Rotherham, it's so that you will know how to serve the Lord here in Rotherham and from people from other places too, so that you too will know how to serve the Lord. Three things then to show you. And the first is this. I want to show you that the Lord is glorious. The Lord is glorious. I travel in my car quite a bit, up and down the M1, as I have done today, and I often have the radio on. And if it's a Saturday, I often have the, the, the sports channels on, and I'll be listening to uh, the football or whatever else is going on. And, and if you ever listen to football commentary on the radio or any kind of sports commentary, whatever you like listening to, if, if you do like listening to things, you'll notice that commentators have a, have a certain number of words that they can use. And one of the things that commentators say a lot is that they say something is glorious. So someone does an amazing shot and they kind of, they run out of words to describe just how amazing it is. And so you'll hear this commentator babbling away, describing the ball has been passed from so-and-so to so-and-so and it's, it's down the wing and the cross has come in and there's a glorious shot. And, and what they're trying to capture as, as you listen, because you can't see the pictures, is just how amazing what has just happened. I, I just quickly checked, and I noticed that Rotherham scored two goals yesterday, which is a good thing. Didn't win, but they scored two goals. I don't know what they were like. Ordinary guy, who knows? I like to think they were glorious shots. That's the kind of language that people use. You, you get up in the morning and you see an amazing sky. You say, isn't that glorious sunrise? Or, or you travel across, you look out to the hills. We don't have many hills in Market Harbour. It's nice to see some hills. You just look out into the hills. You say, isn't that a glorious view? It's a word that we use all the time. And what you get in Ezekiel chapter 1 is a picture of the Lord who is glorious. You see, everything about this is glorious. There is nothing, is there? Did you notice that as Kevin was reading it so wonderfully? There is nothing about this chapter which is ordinary. Pretty much the only ordinary thing is that Ezekiel the prophet has got his socks off and he's dipping his toes in the water. That's kind of ordinary-ish. And then after that, it's all extraordinary. It's all glorious. So, for example, the creatures. So verse 4, I looked and I saw a violent storm coming out of the north. And even the storm is not an ordinary storm. Look, it's immense cloud, verse 4, flashing lightning surrounded by brilliant light. The center of the flyer looked like glowing metal. 
And in the fire was what looked like four living creatures. These creatures are extraordinary. They are glorious. The, the four creatures, we'll come back to those in a moment. The four creatures hold up this platform. And on the platform sits the throne on which God sits. There are wheels that are all the way round. Again, we'll come back to those in just a moment. But just um, look on for a moment with me at verse 22. Look at this platform. Spread out above the heads of the living creatures was what looked like something, it was what looked something like a vault, sparkling like crystal and awesome. They're holding up this platform, if I can use my Bible as a, a kind of illustration. They're, they're holding up this platform, and the platform itself is awesome. It, it sparkles like crystal. And the throne sits on it. Did you notice that? If you, if you go on, you'll see, um, verse 26, above the vault, over their heads, was what looked like a throne of lapis lazuli. If you don't know what lapis lazuli is, it was the most precious thing in the world at the time. I don't know what that would be today, platinum or tiny. I don't, I'll ask the engineer. Some, some precious metal. And the whole throne is made of it. So here's the extraordinary thing you see. All you have to do in Ezekiel chapter 1 is describe the creatures that are holding up the, the platform or describe the platform itself, and even that is enough to take your breath away. I've ne never been in this building before, and, and when I walk through the door, immediately you kind of, sort of look around, don't you, if you've never been in this building before? Who else is in this building for the first time today? You kind of come and you think, whoa, don't you? You kind of see it for the first time. How many of you looked at the floor and went, whoa? Of course you didn't. You looked around, didn't you? We tend not to look down at floors. But even the floor that is being described in Ezekiel 1 is out of this world. Even as, as you look down at this, this floor that's, that's like crystal, this vault that's like crystal, you think to yourself, it's glorious. This is glorious. But here's the amazing thing. All the way through, you see glory, you see glory, you see glory, you see glory. And yet it's only right at the end that the Lord actually makes an appearance. Do you notice that? You hear the creatures described, the wheels described, the platform described, the throne described. And then suddenly... Middle of verse 26, high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal. You, you kind of got the picture by now, by the way. This is not going to be an ordinary guy sitting on the throne, is it? You know, amazing creatures, amazing wheels, amazing platform, amazing throne, ordinary bloke. It's not going to be like that. From what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire. And from there down, he looked like fire, and brilliant light surrounded him. Here is the Lord on his throne, the Lord on his glorious throne, being held up on a glorious platform by glorious creatures, glorious wheels, and he is glorious. It's hardly a good enough word, is it, to describe him? We sometimes use a word, an old-fashioned word really, transcendent. It means beyond everything, above everything, better than everything. That's the picture of the Lord that Ezekiel sees. And here is the most extraordinary thing of all. Ezekiel doesn't really see the Lord. 
Look at verse 28, halfway through that new paragraph. It's the last paragraph of the chapter. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Ezekiel, you see, he can't see the glory of the Lord. It's too amazing for him to see. He can't even see the likeness of the glory of the Lord. He sees the appearance, that word literally means a picture. He sees a picture of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. It's kind of three steps removed, and still it takes your breath away. This um, printing is so cheap these days that this illustration doesn't work unless you're my age or over. So for some of you, half of you in the congregation, you'll identify with this illustration. The rest of you will think, what on earth is he talking about? That's fine, okay? I'm just speaking to half of you for a minute. Do you remember when you used to have to photocopy photocopies? Do you remember that? You know, someone would give you the Sunday school sheet, whatever it is, or the notice sheet. You'd put it in the photocopier. It would get jammed, you know, whatever. And so you'd get a copy and you'd put it through the copier. And so you'd copy a copy. And that would get jammed and you copy a copy of a copy. And what happens each time you do that? It gets a little bit more wonky <laughs> and a little bit more faded. The the more steps you are away from something uh, that is real, the more faded it becomes, the less real it is. And and the picture that is presented here, this glorious picture, this glorious Lord who's presented in Ezekiel 1, it's not the glory of the Lord, for no man can see God and live. It is not even the likeness of the glory of the Lord. It's a picture of the likeness of the glory of the Lord, and yet it takes our breath away. So here's the question for all of us. Is this the kind of vision you have of the Lord? Is this the one you know? Breathtaking. Beautiful beyond description. Incredibly marvellous, glorious, transcendent. So that even words, crazy words, out of this world words and pictures that are used to describe him cannot fully do so. If Ben is going to serve here, if any of us are going to serve in the places where we are, this is the law we need to know. The one who is glorious. That's the first thing I want to show you. Second thing is this, not only is he glorious, he is also holiness. Now you might just think, um, I've lost my marbles a little bit, because you don't say someone is holiness. You say someone is holy. But I want to show you why actually that's not quite enough to describe God. Um, Holy, we, we use that word quite a lot in church, and if you're not used to coming to church, you might think, what are they talking about, holy? Holy means different. Holy means other. Holy means out of this world, completely different from our experience, if you like. And as you read through, and as you follow through, as as Kevin read through Ezekiel chapter 1, I wonder if you noticed that pretty much everything here is holy, it's other, different. What about those creatures? Let's have another look at those creatures, shall we? There they are in verse 5. They look like four living creatures. In appearance, their form was human, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, their feet were like those of a calf, and gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands. 
All four of them had faces and wings, and the wings of one touched the wings of another. Each one went straight ahead. They did not turn as they moved. Their faces looked like this. Each of the four had the face of a human being. And on the right side, each had the face of a lion. That was thought to be the strongest wild animal. On the left, the face of an ox. That was thought to be the strongest tame animal. Each also had the face of an eagle. That was thought to be the strongest flying creature. Now, where would you go to the zoo? If if you're living in Rotherham, where would you go to the zoo? Chester. That's too far, isn't it? Yorkshire Wildlife Park. Okay, is there a York, there's a Yorkshire Wildlife Park? Is it is it just full of Yorkshire wildlife, or is it a wildlife park that's in Yorkshire? Yorkshire Wildlife Park. Now, if you were to go to, can you see a lion there? There's lions at the lovely. It's my kind of place. Yorkshire Wildlife Park. Have you ever seen anything like this in the Yorkshire Wildlife Park? Of course you haven't. Which is not surprising, we're in the realm of glory, aren't we, of glorious. But there is something completely different about this. It's not just that it's a very strong creature, it's a creature like nothing you've ever seen. Nothing you've ever seen. And here is the thing about these creatures. They have an inbuilt design feature. How many pairs of wings do they have? Did you notice that? I'll give you a clue. How many pairs of wings? Two, just stay with me. Two pairs of wings. And what do they do with these wings? Well, we're told twice what they do with the wings. Verse 11, they each had two wings spreading out upwards, each wing touching that of the creature on the other side, and each had two other wings covering its body. Such an important detail that we're told it again in verse 23. Under the vault, their wings were stretched out one towards the other, and each had two wings covering its body. So it's like this. Um, you know when the, you, the kids are in the playground at school, right? And you want to make them line up in a row. And you want it to be nice and even. You, you get them to, to, to stand like this and you say, you know, put your hand out to the child next door and just put your hand on their shoulder and then you kind of all, you know, all edge along a bit like that, don't you? And then you all line out. That's what some of the wings are for. They have these two wings which reach out and with their two wings they kind of reach round and touch the next creature around. Okay, so far so good. Then they have another set of wings. And what do they do with these other set of their wings? They cover their bodies. Like this. Covering their bodies. Now why on earth would they be doing that? Well here's the answer. They're covering their bodies so that they don't have to look upon the one who is on the throne. The creatures are designed to be able to hide themselves from the one who is on the throne because he is so different from them because he is so holy so who is holy in Ezekiel chapter 1 well the creatures are holy the creatures are different the creatures are out of this world out of our experience but even these holy creatures are built they're designed they're created to cower to cover themselves before the Lord who is on the throne. So the Lord who is on the throne is not simply holy. He is what the Bible calls holy, holy, holy. And in the Old Testament especially, when you repeat three words like that, it basically means as holy as you can possibly be. Holiness. You see, if you want to know what holiness is, 
The answer is always God. God cannot be as holy as something. You know, we measure everything in relation to something else. Have you ever thought about that? Let's just try a little experiment. So you just think about how tall you are. Most people know how tall they are in feet and inches. Most people, some people in meters. So I know that I'm five foot ten and a half. That's quite important to me. Okay. Not precious about. I'm, I'm quite precious about it. Okay. If I'm five ten and a half. Now, if I was speaking to you on the phone or something, you hadn't met me, and you said, "How tall are you, Adrian?" And I said, "I'm five ten and a half." You would immediately know how tall I am. Because you know how big a foot is and an inch. So if I said to you, I'm five, ten and a half, you can visualize that. You've got something to measure it against, haven't you? You're having that same phone conversation. You're going to meet me at the station, maybe, and you want to know what I look like. Uh, how will I know what you look like, Adrian? I say, I'm as handsome as Brad Pitt. And you've got a measure. If you know what Brad... What are you laughing at? That wasn't supposed to be funny, that bit. Dead serious. Uh, if you've got a measure... It means something. I, I drove up the motorway. What's the speed limit on the motorway? 70 miles an hour. We know what that means because we know how far a mile is. We know how long an hour is. So when I say to you I was driving at 70 miles an hour on the motorway, you know exactly what I mean. But you can't do that with God. You can't say God is as something as something else. God is as loving as... God is love. God is as pure as... God is pure. God is as great as... No, God is just great. He self-defines. He's not as holy as something else. He's not as out of this world, as different from us, as, 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 as nothing. He is holiness. We're going to serve the living God wherever you are, if we're in Rotherham Evangelical Church, or we're in Kensington or Christchurch Market Harbour, where I serve, or wherever you may be, and wherever you may be called to in the future, if we're going to serve the Lord, if we're going to know the Lord, we need this kind of vision. We need to know that the Lord is glorious and the Lord is holiness, totally other. Whiter than white, purer than pure, higher than high. This is the Lord who we serve. Do you know him? Is this the vision that you have of him? The one who is glorious, the one who is holiness. And then thirdly, the one who is sovereign. The one who is sovereign. Uh, when we say that, we mean the one who rules everything. Let's have a look at the wheel, shall we? Verse 19, as I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the ground beside each creature with its four faces. This was the appearance and structure of the wheels. They sparkled like topaz and all four looked alike. Each appeared to be made like a wheel intersecting a wheel. As they moved, they would go in any one of the four directions the creatures faced. The wheels did not change direction as the creatures went. Their rims were high and awesome, and all four rims were full of eyes all around. You know, one of the cruelest things that you can do um, in church, especially if you teach children, is you can read them Ezekiel 1 and say, Now, children, I'd like you to draw it. I, I've been to your office. And I've seen some of the things your, your company makes, and um, very smart they are too. But you can't make this. 
It's not overall, it's not particularly surprising. It's out of this world. A wheel intersecting a wheel, and so that both can go round at the same time with eyes all around. And a platform, let me use my Bible again, a platform that is always facing forwards. It can go up and down, if you like, because the angels have wings. And these wheels on each corner, which intersect one another, means that it goes forwards all the time, but it can go in any direction. It doesn't make sense. What's going on? Well, this is what is going on. What is this platform? It's where the throne of God sits. What does God do? sitting on this amazing throne. He does what any king sitting on the throne does. He rules. He reigns. He says this is what is happening. And the whole point of this picture in Ezekiel 1, given to Ezekiel as he dips his toes in the river Kibar, is that God is on the throne and the throne can be anywhere. Ezekiel may have left Jerusalem behind, 900 miles, remember, and he may have left the temple behind. He may have thought he's left somehow the glory of God behind, but this message for Ezekiel is this. Uh, Ezekiel, I'm still on my throne, and my throne can go anywhere. You're in Babylon? (laughs) No problem. My throne is in Babylon. And it's always facing forwards. Why is that important? Because God never turns his back. He's always facing forwards. He's always seeing what's happening. And these, these eyes on the wheels reinforce that. He's, he's seeing everything that's going on and he's ruling over everything. It's a mobile throne. That sounds like there should be a joke or a, a pun in there. I can't quite work it out. I can't quite work out what the joke would be, but it would have a nice ring to it. Yeah, okay. You can have that one for free. So this is a mobile throne. God is ruling and he's reigning wherever he is. When the people are in exile far away from home, when they're sad, when they're weeping, when they're full of tears in Babylon, who is on the throne? The Lord is on the throne. The one who is glorious. The one who is holiness. The one who is sovereign. Who is on the throne in Rotherham? The Lord is on the throne in Rotherham. Is he? Yes, he is. Well, what about when things aren't going so well? What about when things aren't quite working out as we'd plan them in our church or in our lives or with our families? The Lord is still on the throne. His throne goes anywhere. His sovereign and when times are good, it's a truth that keeps us humble. You know, when plans are falling into place, when you're rejoicing that Ben has come here and all the pieces have clicked together and the, the, the funding's been wonderfully provided, you don't sit there and say, aren't we clever? Haven't we done a good job? You fall on your knees and say, the Lord is ruling and reigning. It's a truth that keeps us humble, even at tough times. You know, tough times come, don't they? Some of you are going through them right now. Might be something to do with work or with family. You know, things that feel as though they're out of control, there's nothing you can do about them. I'm going through a time like that at the moment. It feels like there's nothing you can do about stuff and you feel desperate. And What does Ezekiel 1 tell us? The Lord is on his throne. 
And so maybe this isn't a truth that you need to grapple with right now, but it will be. And Ben, brother, for you especially, you know, as ministry encouragements come, here's a truth to keep you humble, but here's a truth to hold on to when discouragements come. The Lord is still on his throne. The Lord is glorious. The Lord is holiness. The Lord is sovereign. Here's the million-dollar question. Where do you get a vision of the Lord like this? Don't you want it? All of us who want to serve the Lord need a vision of the Lord like this. Where do you get it from? Where is it available? Have we just got to go down to the river and and kind of dip our feet in the water and just wait for the storm? Is that going to do it? Friends, we don't need to do that. I will tell you where this vision of the Lord comes from. You you might actually already know the answer because as we read the last few verses, you might have thought to yourself, that's funny, I recognise those verses from somewhere else in the Bible. Verse 27, I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire, and that from there down he looked like fire and brilliant light surrounded him, like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. Revelation chapter 1. It's a description of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible describes the Lord Jesus as the image of the invisible God. Hebrews chapter 1 describes him as the radiance of God's glory. Same kind of language. The night before he died... Jesus was talking to his disciples and he, he had a conversation with the disciples and he said, I'm, I'm going away. And the disciples said, where are you going? Don't go. Where you go? And, and, and Philip, one of the disciples, turns to Jesus and in a moment of desperation, he knows that Jesus is going. He knows he's spent three years with this amazing man. He says to Jesus, Jesus, show us the Father. Now, what does Philip mean when he says that, show us the Father? Philip means this. He means, Jesus, it's been great being with you. Now you're going, I want this kind of experience. I want Ezekiel 1. Can I have it? And Jesus lovingly and graciously and gently turns around to Philip and he says, don't you know me, Philip? Don't you know me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Where do we get a vision of the Lord who is glorious, holiness, sovereign? We find it in the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect revelation of the wonderful Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. And whoever you are today, this is the vision you need. There may be some people here yet who are not yet Christians. Perhaps you've been coming along to the church Friends, this is what you need more than anything, this kind of vision of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who comes and reveals the Father and gives himself for us and then is is raised from the dead and ascends to be at the Father's right hand. Love to talk to you a bit more about that if you want. I guess a lot of us are Christians. Some of us have been new Christians. Some of us have been Christians many years. Some will be serving in the church in, in formal ways. Others will be doing all kinds of things that perhaps are not recognized in quite the same way in the church. But we all need this. We all need this vision of the Lord. 
we all need this vision of the Lord Jesus Christ in order to serve. For the, the best thing, the only thing, the most important thing about serving is this, is to know him. It's to know him. Let's pray together.